Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We have a guest speaker with us, and we hope that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Um, this week, I w- I'm not real good at these things. If anybody knows that, technology is not my thing. Now, give me a hammer and some nails and a saw or whatever, and I can take care of it. But this week, I was going to just uh, I text Brad Gilbert, and I was asking him because we needed another lock on one of the doors in the ladies' room over in the fellowship hall. It's broken, and so I thought we had an extra one, so I text him, and he said, no, we've already used it. So, ladies, y'all need to quit breaking the locks over there, Okay. <laughs> I don't know how ladies break a lock on a door in a restroom, but maybe you can't get out and you kick it. I don't know. But, but anyway, no offense, ladies. But, so I, I text him to see if we can get another one. He said, well, we'll have to order one. I said, okay, we'll do that. And, and so I finished talking to him, and about an hour, hour or so later, uh, I text Linda a message because I do this, just to encourage my wife during the day, and I and I said, I miss you, girl. I'm at home cutting the grass, and, and I love you so much. Well, she responded right back to me. She said, I love you too, but the wrong person. <laughs> Went right to Brad Gilbert. <laughs> so I texted him back, and I said, ha, ha, you're right, but you're not Linda. <laughs> And I said, but that will preach. <laughs> so, <laughs> anybody else ever done that? <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> so if you get a message that says, I love you, girl, <laughs> and I'm at home doing this, just, just ignore it. You don't, you don't even have to text me back. Just, just ignore it. Or just say, I love you, too, and you're the greatest or something like that. So. But sometimes life has a way of not working the way we, we intend it to. Come on, if you've lived long enough, you know that this morning. Sometimes there's challenges. Sometimes there's troubles. Sometimes there's failures. And sometimes there's just turns in the road. Come on, are you with me this morning? Uh, Don't be quiet in here this morning. Come on, help me preach this, and and we'll be out of here earlier than you think. Okay? Some of you woke up now. (laughs) Life has a way of taking us places we never planned to go. Sometimes, regardless of wherever you are today, I want to tell you this this morning because I want to encourage you. Your story is not over yet. Your story is not over yet. Uh, A few weeks ago, pastor, and he does this from time to time. He'll have people come up on stage and share their stories. And even those people that have come up on the stage and shared their stories, their stories are not over yet. And if you're here today, I'll just tell you, your story is not over yet. Regardless of where you are today, your journey is not complete. Now, you're traveling, but your journey is not complete yet. God's not done with you yet. Come on, God's not done with you yet. Look at that person on your left and your right and say, God's not done with you yet. All right, that's enough. You don't have to tell her again. Okay. (laughs) Oh, he was looking deep in them eyes. (laughs) You see, around here, we believe something. 
We believe that God is in the business of restoration. God is in the business of restoration. Restoration is the process of turning broken things into beautiful things. How many believe God can do that today? <laughs> yes, he can. Come on, give him praise. <laughs> he can take something that's worn, battered, and decayed and make it look new again. God can do that. I tried to do that to a 66 Chevrolet one time, and I didn't do too good. <laughs> I didn't know how to really paint an automobile, but I thought I could make it look good. So I borrowed a compressor. I borrowed a sprayer, and the compressor had a hole in it so it wouldn't keep the pressure up. I, I put my car in the backyard, taped it up, got up on a ladder, and began to spray that thing army green. <laughs> Let me tell you, it looked like a tank when I was done with it. <laughs> But God can make it look brand new. <laughs> you see, around here, we believe that. Broken things can be made beautiful again. He can take something that's completely worn out that you think needs to go in the trash and we're done with it, and he can turn it around. We have a God who never gives up on us. He's a God who never gives up on us. God will never give up on you. Somebody else might. But God never will give up on you. <laughs> we can trust he's not finished with us yet. He's not finished. I was talking with Sylvester in the hospital the other day, and, and he was talking about, you know, he'd been in the hospital for several days, and he was talking about how he was a little bit afraid, you know, because he couldn't breathe. He had some fluid built up on his lungs, and, and he said, but I'm still here. I said, that's because God's not done with you yet. God's not done with you. God still has a plan and a purpose for your life. He still has a journey for you to follow. To those who love God and follow him, we believe he's working all things for our good. How many believe that? He's working all things for our good. I know, Robert, you're not in the house yet, and you thought you'd already be in the house. But God's working it for your good, I promise. <laughs> your story and mine are all similar to the story of God's people. We see in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah the story of God's people returning to the city of Jerusalem. They were in a place that they did not want to be. <laughs> they were in a place they did not want to be, but God brought them back home. How many believe God will bring you home? There's a, a mobile home place that advertised commercials uh, over, over, over east of us, and, and they always say, Come, come to us because we'll bring you home. But let me tell you something. Come to God and he'll bring you home. Come to God and he'll bring you home. His power will rebuild the city. God brought them back. He rebuilt the city. It was broken down. He made brand new. But there were still challenges. And I'm not going to go all through the book of Nehemiah because pastor's going to do that. He gave me the first chapter of Nehemiah. And we're going to go through that today. But the first chapter of Nehemiah is a prayer. And, folk, we need to be praying people. <laughs> I want to say this to you also. God will do a better job restoring than Chip and Joanna Gaines. He'll do a better job of restoring than the main cabin masters. Come on. Are you with me this morning? He'll do a better job of restoring than Mike Holmes. He'll do a much better job of restoring than anybody else can do if you'll just take it to him. Just to bring us up to speed, last week, these are some things that Pastor preached. Last Sunday, we went through the book of Ezra. He went through that entire book. 
I love to hear my pastor preach. Let me tell you something. He preaches a word that's uncompromising. He loves God with all his heart, and you can feel it when he preaches and when he shares his heart and when tears begin to flow. And, you know, we've almost got the same testimony. He got saved when he was 17 years old, and so do I. So did I. So I know he got saved in 1973. <laughs> it took some of y'all a minute to get that. It is, you'll get it by Thursday. <laughs> But he's not as old as I am. So, but but we did we do have a similar testimony of what God's done in our lives, and and so he went through Ezra. And Ezra and Nehemiah was originally uh, separate books. I mean, originally one book, but now they're two books. And he shared that how they were later separated. It was written about around 430 years before Christ, and chronologically, it followed the book of Daniel. The story of Nehemiah is written based on a promise from God. How many of you have got a promise from God? We shared that. We prayed over that last week. Pastor had us come up. If you've had a promise from God, let me tell you something. You may not be received it yet, but God never goes back on a promise. He'll never go back on a promise. We might, but God won't do that. The story of Nehemiah is written about that promise. A hundred years earlier... He, that he would free the Jewish exiles living in Babylon and restore them to their land, their temple, and their life in Jerusalem. Pastor Brian shared this story of the Jewish captivity and a life in Babylon and the beginning of their release back to Israel. And there was three phases. Zerubbabel was in the first phase, Ezra was in the second, and Nehemiah will be in, in the third. So let me say this before we dive any further into this chapter. We serve a God who cannot fail. Come on. We serve a God who cannot fail. Come on. We serve a God who cannot fail. There's a scripture that we speak around here a whole lot. And it's Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly and above all that I could ever ask or think. And we use that around here. How many know God is able to do exceedingly abundantly and above all that we could ever ask or think? Exceedingly and abundantly above. Now, I mentioned Chip and Joanna a while ago, and on their show, you see people come, and they say, are you ready to see your fixer-upper? And then they ask them, what were you expecting? Well, it's, it's far above than I ever expected. Well, let me tell you something. God will do far above than you ever expected. Folk, he's my blessed hope this morning. If the God of providence, listen to this, if he's calling someone to a particular ministry, he can overrule that person's situation. How many of you have ever thought God was calling you to do something, but you thought, I'm not able to do that? Come on, anybody. I'm not able to do that. I felt like that this morning. I'm not able to do this. But how many know God can overrule your situation? God can change your situation. Moses didn't think he could do it either. But God knew he could. God knew he could. Each and every one of you sometimes feel like you can't do something, but God can overrule your situation. <laughs> He's able to do 
exceedingly, abundantly, and above all we could ever ask or think. Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to read these first three verses if I can see it. I see fine up close most of the time. See, I can't see you guys in the back. Y'all could do anything. I wouldn't know what you was doing. But if I put my glasses on and catch you, you're in trouble. <laughs> okay? I can see fine with my glasses on way off, but I see fine up close. <clears throat> First three verses. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hashaliah, if I pronounce that right. Maybe Hakaliah. It, became, it came to pass in the month of Cheslev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, and a citadel was a, a, a place that's high, it's raised up higher than most. It's, it's a walled area. It's almost like a fortress sitting on a hill. That Hanani, or Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the providence in province, are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned in fire. And when I read this, when I think about Nehemiah, he's about to begin a prayer for his people. He's about to cry out to God. How many of you have ever cried out to God? I remember years ago, I was with a, a family at the hospital, and this lady's husband was having a heart catheterization. He had had about three or four. And this is not a happy story, but we were in the waiting room, and they moved us to another room so the doctor could come in. And the doctor came in, and he was kind of quiet when he walked in the room. And he began to tell everything that they were doing in the surgical room. And then he made a statement and he said, and we lost him. And when he said that, the wife of this man just let out a blood-curdling cry to God. And she cried out and said, he was not ready. He was not ready. And I remember the son turning and hitting the wall with his fist because the man had not given his heart to Jesus Christ. But she cried out to God in the midst of of adversity. And so we're about to see Nehemiah do the same thing after he receives this word. But here's what he does. He fasts when he heard this horrific news and he began to pray for his countrymen. He's overcome with grief. So where do I turn now? Where do I turn now? You ever been in a situation and just wondered, where am I going to turn now? Well, let me tell you something. Sometimes you won't have all the answers. But when answers aren't enough, there's Jesus. Sometimes you won't have all the answers and you can't seem to figure out why this has happened. But when answers aren't enough, there's Jesus. You can always cry out to the Lord. In fact, that should be the first place we go is to the Lord. And we see that in Nehemiah. He's overcome with grief. 
So where do I turn? Nehemiah does exactly what he should do, and he turns to the Lord. So this opening prayer that we're about to read lays out one of the finest models of prayer outside Jesus' perfect prayer that he tells us in Matthew chapter 6 that we should pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. And he gives us an example. But Nehemiah gives us an example right here also. He's a cupbearer from Shushan. In other words, he's about to give us some key principles on how we should learn to pray. And you say, what's a cupbearer? Well, he's the right-hand man to the king. (laughs) Artaxerxes, he's the right-hand man to the king. In other words, he's the ranking officer in control. He's a part of the royal courts. God has moved him up the ladder. He's a cupbearer. He also poured and served all the drinks at the royal table. You say, why did he do that? Because the king was worried that somebody might not like him. And if they didn't like him, they might put something in his drink or they might feed him something he's not supposed to eat. So Nehemiah was a cupbearer. His job was a little bit dangerous too. Because he had to make sure that nothing was poisoned before it went to the king. Now, I don't know if he sipped it himself or if he said, hey, come here a second. <laughs> and he might have done that and called someone else. And I need you to drink this. But he's going to give us some principles in this prayer that are extremely applicable for you and I today. He's about to go before the Lord. Let me read you verse 4 and 5. Verse 4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Now, I don't know about you. This version says he sat down, but I can just see him. I can see Nehemiah hitting his knees. I can see Nehemiah getting in a prayer posture position and then beginning to cry out to God over his countrymen who are messed up right now. He doesn't look at his own talents. He could have because he had abilities. And of course, he had political contacts. If he's the king's right-hand man, there's no telling what he has authority to do. (laughs) He could probably resolve the problem back in Jerusalem. He's probably thinking that. No, I don't think Nehemiah was really thinking that. Nehemiah turns to the Lord so he doesn't embrace his position in the Persian courts, but he humbly bows in prayer. And not just a little prayer. Anybody ever came up to you and said, can you just pray a little prayer for me? Well, I don't, I don't know about you, but I think if I'm going to tell somebody, out, can you please pray a big prayer for me? <laughs> I don't know if there's a such thing as a little prayer and a big prayer. I don't think there's a such thing as a little lie and a big lie to you. You ever told your mom or dad, I just told a little lie. But they tore it up just as bad as if it was a big lie. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Brother Bill Gilbert, I could tell a story about you right now, but I'm not going to. I'm going to save it for the perfect time. His mama took a corn stalk and whooped him. 
Well, I guess I didn't save it. <laughs> How many of you have ever been beat with a corn stalk? Probably not a one of us. But I'll introduce you to a man that has. <laughs> Nehemiah turns to the Lord. He doesn't think about his position and he, he begins to pray and he begins to fast and pray for many days, the Bible says. He's crying out to God of heaven, to God who's not confined just to the temple in Jerusalem. He knows all and he sees all. Nehemiah reflects on the character of God when he looks at his great majesty. He acknowledges God's greatness. He acknowledges God's greatness. We were singing that this morning. How great is our God. Come on. How great is our God. We acknowledge God's greatness. <laughs> Linda and I was talking on the phone one time before we got married. And she was coming back from Eufaula to, to Tallahassee. And she's just talking to me. And she's happy. And she's talking. And all of a sudden... She says, oh, I got to pull over. There's a blue light behind me. <laughs> just that calm, just pulled over. And I said, well, let me go. And so I hung up and I asked her, how, how was she so calm? She said, well, nothing else I could do. <laughs> but God is great. God is great. Did he keep her from getting a ticket? No, but he's still great. <laughs> he's still great. I'm telling you, he's still great. <laughs> And it doesn't matter if you're friend or foe in our place. God is still great. God is still great. Nehemiah appeals to God's forgiveness. Let me read you these next two verses. Verse 6 and verse 7. Come on now. He's going to appeal to God's forgiveness. How many believe God will forgive? He says, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. Verse 7. We've acted very corruptly against you, and we have kept the commandments, the statutes. We've not kept them, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. When Nehemiah reflects on the character of God and recognizes his own plight, then he confesses his own sin. Sometimes we have a tendency to want to blame somebody else. Come on. But when you get in the presence of God, let me tell you something. <laughs> It'll show you right where you really are. And he begins to confess his own sin and the sin of Israel. In other words, he takes on responsibility. He takes responsibility himself. He doesn't blame the Jewish people. He says, we have sinned. Both my father's house and I have sinned. And we've acted very corruptly. I love what the scripture says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and do what? And heal their land. 
If my people will humble themselves and pray. I don't think there's ever been a time in history when God's people needs to humble themselves and pray. And you know, we can repent for America. We can repent, even though we might say, oh, well, I didn't do that. But yet, we're still a part of it. When Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. We sent him there. We sent him there. You say, I wasn't there. Oh, yes, you were. Yes, you were. Man put him there. But God will forgive us of our sin. Nehemiah rehearses God's promises. Come on, he rehearses God's promises. Let's look in, look in, look in verse 7. I mean, verse 8. Give me just a second to focus. I look at you, and then I have to look back here. And these are little bitty words. See, you can see how little they are, can't you? Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and you keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to a place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. <laughs> Verse 10. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. <laughs> oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prophet prosper this day, I pray. And then he, he goes on. I'm, I done read you all the way to the end now. And he, he grants him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah rehearses God's promises. How many believe you can pray God's promises? In fact, that's what you and I should do. This should be a part of our prayer life on a regular basis that we can take the Word of God, find the promises of Word of God, and then pray those promises back to God. Nehemiah appeals the same words to, that Moses used in the pleading for Israel on Mount Sinai. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 29, I don't think I have this on the slide, but, but yet there are your people, he says, your inheritance, whom you brought out of your mighty, with your mighty power and by your outstretched hand. Moses prayed that prayer. So Nehemiah carefully recites scripture in his prayer. And that should be a common practice for us, a common practice for me. And let me tell you what it'll do if you'll begin to pray God's word back to God. It'll nurture your prayer life. You say, what do you mean by nurture? It'll encourage your prayer life. It'll give you growth. It'll help you to continue to grow. It'll help you in your development to be more like Christ. How many of your life needs to be nurtured? Sure it does. All of us do. A prayer life is essential at helping us understand the Bible. If you don't have a prayer life, it's going to be hard for you to understand this word. But if you've got a prayer life, it'll help nurture you to understand the word of God. Somebody say amen. In order for the Lord, think about it for a second now. In order for the Lord to answer Nehemiah's prayer, 
and he's praying day and night. We've already read it. He's fasting and he's praying. But in order for the Lord to answer Nehemiah's prayer, the Persian king, Artaxerxes, he would have to overturn a, a petition that he had already put out in the book of Ezra in 421, which prohibited any further construction or things to be done in the holy city. He's already stopped all of that construction. So something is going to have to change his heart. How many of you know God can do that? I already said it earlier. If God's called you to a specific ministry and you say, there's no way I can do that. Oh, don't say that. Because God will make a way where there is no way. God can change that circumstance. <laughs> and the Lord does that. So in verse 10, in verse 10, and, and I'm going to read it again, verse 10. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. <laughs> oh, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. <laughs> and then he says, and let your servant prosper this day, I pray. And then he says, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He's talking about King Artaxerxes. Because <laughs> he didn't have to let him do anything. He didn't have to let him do anything. You see, I believe that Nehemiah, when he heard the horrific words that everything was in ruins... I believe he began to get a vision of what things could be. And that's why he began to pray. Because God's the only person that can change it. He couldn't change it. His high political authority couldn't change it. But God could change it. So what Nehemiah is doing here, he's petitioning God's assistance. God, I need your help. God, I need your help. <laughs> you can hear it and you can see it. You can hear it in his humility. But when he calls himself a servant, when he calls them a servants, a number of times, I don't know how many times, but he continues to use the word servant and the word servants. That's humility. <laughs> Nehemiah not only prays for his people and the situation, but he also expresses his willingness to serve the Lord in helping solve the problem. Now, I'm going to preach a word that every pastor would like to preach. Come on, folk. Don't be a part of the problem. Be a part of the solution. Pastor Brian's going to thank me for that. Come on, Pastor Brian's going to thank me for that. I'm not getting on to you because I know sometimes I can probably be a part of the problem instead of being part of the solution. <laughs> When God will help us and we can be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Not many amens there. <laughs> he knew what was ahead of him should the king allow him to go. 
or leave the king's courts. Here's what Nehemiah was doing. Come on, folks. This is a powerful prayer. You go back and read it at home. Go back and read it at home. Read through it slowly. Read through it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. He was giving up his security. He was giving up his choice position. He was giving up his safety, and he was laying his life down on the line. After all, he was a cupbearer. He had great influence. He was closest to the king, and he, he certainly enjoyed the confidence of the king. Because to be a cupbearer, I think you probably had to be one of the most trustworthy people there were. Especially if you were going to be bringing drinks to the king. He trusted you. I'm getting ready to close. I'm going to ask our worship team if they'll come back. I told you I wasn't going to keep you long. But we're not out of here yet. <laughs> Three things I want us to get out of this. To be used by the Lord, we must set aside sin, apathy, and sluggishness. You say, what's apathy? It's a lack of enthusiasm. It's no concern. It's, uh, you know, I really don't care. We've got to learn to, first of all, lay sin aside Ask God to forgive us and then say, God, give me some enthusiasm for the Lord. Give me some enthusiasm for the kingdom. Give me some joy unspeakable and full of glory. Give me some fresh oil in my lamp. <laughs> give me some fresh oil in my life that I can burn bright in front of people. Come on. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Nobody wants to hang around somebody that's down and out all the time. But you show me somebody that's full of enthusiasm and you'll want to go with them. <laughs> oh, there's a golf tournament coming up. You better play with Jeff if you want to win. <laughs> you better give me another box of balls just so I can stay out there. <laughs> As many as I knock in the water. But Jeff will have the enthusiasm though. Todd will have the enthusiasm. George will have the enthusiasm. And Pastor Brian will win it all. He'll tell you that Sunday he won it all. May not be the truth, but he'll tell you. He'll have the enthusiasm. Here's the second thing. Even when we're walking in godlessness and we're, and we're not seeking to serve the Lord. Or even when you are walking in godliness and you are seeking the Lord, He'll make you wait. How many of you have ever had to wait? Waiting's no fun, is it? How many of you love to sit in a waiting room? How many of you love to take your car to get it serviced, the oil changed, and your tires rotated, and you have to sit and wait? Sometimes it may take two and a half hours, and you're thinking, I could have done it at home in 30 minutes. And you don't like to wait. 
And I've said this before. How many of you get in a line now that's supposed to be fast food and you get irritated because it's not fast food anymore? You probably just need to be at home cooking a good vegetable dinner. Probably could have done it faster. Sometimes you just have to wait. Sometimes the Lord just wants us to wait. Just wait. Don't get ahead of me, but just wait, he says. The scripture says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary, and they'll walk and not faint. Sometimes you just got to (laughs) wait. In the late 70s, I was a runner, a runner. But I was in my 20s, and I could run 60 miles a week on a regular basis. And I was running in a seven-mile race in Pine Mountain, Georgia. And it was just like this. And I remember climbing a hill, and, and I'm going up this hill, and I'm just about had it. And this girl came around me. And she came around me and was moving. I wasn't moving too good. And she stopped about 10 yards in front of me and looked back and said, Are you okay? Folk, I wanted to pick up a rock and throw it at her. (laughs) That was my flesh. But she encouraged me that I could finish the race. And I'm thinking, let me just wait right here. She encouraged me to finish the race. And sometimes we just need some encouragement. Nehemiah has encouraged me today. He's encouraged me. Everything may not happen as fast as we think it ought to fast, as we think it should, should do, but God says, I'm still with you. Just wait. Just wait. And here's the third thing. Remember this. The Lord wishes for us to do His will even more than we do. The Lord wishes for you to do His will even more than you do because he wants you to finish this journey strong stand with me this morning Kelsey's going to be excited over there I'm going to tell her because I was a children's pastor I understand but if you're here this morning and you say pastor I'm struggling. You say, I'm struggling. Right where I'm at, I'm struggling. Well, I'm going to tell you, God knows right where you're at. And if you need prayer this morning, we want to pray for you. Because days, today is a brand new day. God knows what tomorrow holds, and He holds tomorrow. God knows what needs to take place in your life. He knows if you're struggling, but He knows how to pull you out of that struggle. And only God knows how to do that. But if you're here today and you say, I'm struggling just a little bit, Pastor, I want you to slip your hand up. Yes. 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 Then I need some folk that want to pray. And I'm going to ask those that just raise their hands. We're going to take a few moments this morning. 
because he's a great God. He's a great God and he's able. And we're going to pray for these that just lifted their hands. I'm going to ask you if you would, would you just step out of your seat and just come down to the front so that we can pray with you this morning. There you go. Step out of your seat. Step out of your seat. Come on, I need some prayer warriors to come. We're going to pray with these this morning that might be struggling because God has a perfect plan. He wants to help you in your journey. He'll be right beside you. He'll never leave you and He'll never forsake you. God is with you today. He's with you today. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that your presence is in this room today. And God, today, you're walking beside us. Today, you're speaking to our hearts. Today, you're saying, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to help you in this struggle. I'm going to be right beside you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to encourage you today that there's nothing impossible with me. There's nothing impossible with the Lord. Lord, touch touch in a mighty way today I thank you Lord for your goodness I thank you Lord come on sing it sing it great are you Lord Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.